This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to DSC's Untamed Heritage, the unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle. Delivered in an entertaining and informative fashion as only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC's Untamed Heritage is brought to you by... DSC, Dallas Safari Club, conservation, education, and hunter advocacy. Hornady, accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon, brilliant aiming solutions. Ruger, rugged, reliable firearms. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, calling as calls made. Double Nickel Taxidermy, where hunting memories are preserved. Now, here's your host, Larry Wysoon. Welcome to DSC's Untamed Heritage. I mentioned that because in the not too distant future, we're changing the name to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. One of the reasons for doing this is that basically what I've been able to do over the last many years is to essentially just kind of tell stories around the campfire. And that's really what I want this podcast to reflect is stories told around the campfire with, with good friends after hopefully a truly successful hunt, whether we took an animal or just had an absolutely fantastic time and everybody's kind of kicked back and relaxed. And I found that the campfire, J. Frank Doby was one of the preeminent, or I suppose one of the greatest philosophers that ever came out of Texas. Above his mantle, or on his mantle, I should say, at his home in, in Austin and also in South Texas, he had inscribed in the following. Basically, what it says, and I sat down in front of the campfire, the world's greatest philosopher. That's kind of the philosophy that I kind of look at this as well, too, with this, with this podcast. And that's one of the reasons I really want to change it to campfires. Well, I've guessed occasionally, of course, as well, too, and, and hopefully tell a story that's entertaining, but also maybe a little bit on the educational side to to uh, kind of let you know some of the things that I've learned over, oh my gosh, now nearly 65, 70 years of uh, hunting and 
and spending time in the outdoors and hopefully the good Lord will allow me a few more years to continue doing just that. There's no place that I'm happier, no place that I feel better than whenever I'm outside somewhere out in the woods, be it in the mountains, be it on the plains, but be it somewhere where there's hunting and outdoors to be had and and to learn. So one of the things I've truly enjoyed over the last many years is that almost every time I'm in the field, I have a tendency to learn a little bit more about nature, a little bit more about the animals, a little bit more about the habitat, the plants, the soil, and occasionally a bit more about myself as well too. And of course, occasionally you're up with other people and you it's it's really fun to learn more about other people as well too how how they think about the outdoors what's important to them and even learn from them from their personal experiences so moving forward we're going to be known as DSC's campfires with Larry Weisson in the very very near future with all that said I I really want to thank DSC the staff involved Corey Mason and his staff for the absolutely fantastic job they did with the virtual auction and event that we had uh, essentially this past week. It ended the 14th of February. Great success in so many different ways, but great success because of the, all the volunteers involved, all the outfitters involved, all the people who donated their goods, their opportunities to take people outdoors in terms of hunting and fishing, all the products that were donated, but also not only the people who donated, but the people who bid as well and, and those who bought at the virtual auction. All your money is going to go to the DSC mission of conservation, education, and advocacy. We live in some interesting times, as you're very well aware, and DSC, in my estimation, based upon many years of looking at all the other organizations that are out there involved in wildlife conservation who support hunting as a tool of conservation. There's some really good ones out there. There's no question about that. But to me, DSC just simply rises above all the rest of them. And that's one of the reasons I, I lend my support to them as, as much as I do. Yes, I'm a member of Wild Sheep Foundation, the Rock, the uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, and the, the Wild, uh, as I said, the Wild Sheep Foundation, the Mule Deer Foundation. NRA, so many other great organizations, Houston Safari Club, and the list goes on and on where I'm either an annual member or have been a life member for a whole bunch of years. All these are really good and truly important organizations. But to me, the, the very finest of the bunch is the Dallas Safari Club. And again, one of the reasons why I so strongly support them and so highly recommend that <clears throat> if you're not already a member, you're already a member, you really need to be, and you can do that by going to B-I-G-G-A-M-E dot O-R-G. <clears throat> My voice is a little cracky today. <clears throat> Excuse me, I, I got a COVID shot about two days before, the, or actually a day before recording this, and so uh, I feel pretty good about all that. The main reason I thought I'd get a shot is hopefully it'll do some good, but uh, hopefully... I understand from what I've been hearing inklings of that perhaps in the future in terms of interstate, intrastate, uh, particularly between states and traveling outside the country and coming back, we may end up having to show proof that we had vaccine, been vaccinated sometime in the past. And uh, I hate all that governmental type stuff, but at the same time, I understand some of it. And if those are the rules, I'll to be able to go spend time up in Canada like I plan to with 
Ron and Nemechek and Maria and, and uh, the person that bought the hunt for from DSC's virtual auction recently to uh, be up there the last full week of, of December. I'm sorry, of November. <laughs> December, the hunting season will be closed. But being there the last week of November when that tail end of that rut's occurring, when those really big old white tail bucks start roaming around, uh, I, that's something I really want to do. And if it means I've got to get a vaccinated by for the COVID-19 thing, so be it. Uh, I'll, I'll gladly do that. But really, again, want to say thank you. Huge, huge thank yous to everybody involved with the DSC virtual auction. Again, from those who donated to those who helped administrate it to Corey Mason and his excellent staff, all those who had watch parties, and I had the opportunity to spend a great watch party down close to Conroe with, uh, oh my gosh, several very, very dear friends, including Russell and Mary Edith Stacy. They, uh, they were the ones that hosted the party and kindly allowed me to be a part of it as well, too. And I know there were a bunch of other great watch parties going on. I was aware of the one on the FTW Ranch with Tim Fallon and his group, who, who again, super, super people. The finest operation there is when it comes to learning how to shoot and uh, learning your capabilities with a firearm that you have and, and uh, learn your ca firearms capabilities as well, too. So... Thank you all to those who have been involved in, in that virtual auction and all those who bought and bid. You know, it, it takes only two people to create a bidding. One person cannot bid by himself and to actually make that auction go up unless he decides to bid against himself, which uh, hopefully somebody down the road has done. And, and I think, uh, you know, I want a priest to say my great appreciation is for them if they up to bid that they had earlier, so much the better because the money, as I mentioned, goes to DSC's missions of conservation, education, and advocacy. Become a member today. Again, B-I-G-G-A-M-E dot O-R-G. We're in the middle of February, and, and one of the things that I find very fascinating about February, it's during the wintertime, great time to go Go on a hog hunt, great time to call predators, and I intend to be doing some of that as well as a little bit of squirrel hunting, as I think I might have mentioned in one of the last podcasts, in the next, oh, couple of weeks or so. And But one of the things that I'm doing as well, too, I, I was very fortunate. I grew up out in the country, and I grew up hunting on properties that belonged to my dad and my granddad and, and some of our neighbors, and one of those neighbors... Uh, had a fair amount of land, and back then, when I started seriously hunting whitetail deer, I traded out hauling hay, big old square bales that we loaded on the trailer into the barn, uh, working cattle, digging post holes, all those kind of things to help pay for, in exchange for hunting rights, to be able to go on our neighbor's properties to, to hunt whitetail deer and squirrels and rabbits and those kind of things. What I'm really tickled about is that recently I have been able to lease some of that same property that I grew up hunting on. Now, I had not been on it, some of it, for, uh, let's just say, several decades. Recently had the opportunity to go back to some of that land and, and having leased it, not big places, because where I grew up hunting, my gosh, if you had 30, 40 to 100 acres, that was considered a big place, but... Uh, as it's working out, I've been able to put together about 400 acres there, a little bit of it I own, and then the other parts I lease. And that 400 acres is big enough for me to try to make an a effort, try to make an effort to 
get some of those white-tailed deer there in an older age class. My brother has, has property there as well, too. And so between my brother and I and a neighbor, we're really trying to give some of the local deer there that chance to get into that three, four, five-year-old age class. Are those deer big there? No, you know, it's one of those areas of, in Colorado County, Texas, where the legal buck is considered, can be a, a spike buck, but it, uh, most of us pass up spikes. Then uh, to be legal, it has to have at least four points on one side and a minimum of 13 inch inside spread. Now with that ruling, things have really kind of changed compared to what it was when I was growing up. Back when I was growing up, if you shot a deer that had a 12-inch spread and had eight or six points even, you were considered a hero because everybody hunted hard and, and those bucks didn't have a chance to get some age on them. Nowadays, they're getting a little bit of age on them and hopefully with a, some increased nutrition and, and a few other things we're trying to do to aid that deer population, we'll start seeing some li little bit bigger antlered bucks. Never quite what we might expect to see in South Texas or even in parts of the Texas Hill Country, I'm sure some of the other places that y'all hunt, uh, where if you're from the Midwest, I've hunted there too. I know what those deer can grow into and often do. I wish we had the capabilities down in the area that, where I have properties, but that just, I don't see that happening quite frankly. So to me, I don't judge those deer according to the Midwest or any place else. I try to judge them to what they can do in the area where they do live. Now, February, as I said, is a great time to hunt coyotes, still hunt squirrels in some areas. Be sure to check your local regulations. Uh, hog hunting is always available in a lot of different areas, particularly where I live in Texas. But one of the things I'm doing right now is I'm getting back onto that property to do some really serious scouting. Much of it is, is covered in a variety of, of oak trees, primarily uh, some white oaks. There are some red oaks. There's some uh, western cedar type of trees. There's yopon, which is really a lot of people call yopon holly. There's a lot of uh, green briar in some of those areas. There's two or three little dry creeks that run through this property that uh, for the most part, they'll flow only when we've had a lot of rain. And, and fortunately, we've had a little bit of rain since some of the potholes are filled. And there's a little tank on this property as well, too, tank meaning a pond. And, and there's been quite a few ducks there this year, although I didn't take the time to go try to, to, to shoot any of them. I will hopefully this next year. Have squirrels, coyotes, a few bobcats, and of course, white-tailed deer as well, too. One of the things, as I mentioned, is I'm doing some scouting. Now, one of the things that I'm looking for is I'm looking for, obviously, rubs can still be seen right now, as can scrapes. You can find spots where bucks had scrapes set up, and a good place to look is along the edge of of, uh, of any kind of, like the edge of a road, the edge of a, a brush compared to open areas. And also spend a lot of time looking for rubs. Now, I'm not one of those who is well-versed with a with a handheld phone, computer, if you will, to, to mark all these spots on his GPS points. But what I do before I got onto the property, I had the... Uh, the landowner sent me a map, uh, an aerial map, and from which I have enlarged a little bit. And with that aerial map, what I'm doing, wherever I'm finding rubs, uh, particularly those rubs that showed rubbing from the years previous. A lot of times bucks, mature bucks, and even younger bucks 
will come to the same tree to rub every year. So if I find those places that have been rubbed, it gives me an opportunity to say, well, maybe this old buck made it and made it through the hunting season and he'll be around this coming year. So I'll take that map and, and I'll make a little X wherever I find those. I'll draw in the trails that are obvious trails that deer are using coming off of the neighbor's property and within the thick brush as well too. Looking for scrapes as well too, because a lot of times, just like with rubs, these bucks will come back to the same scrapes year after year after year after year after year kind of thing. So there I'm just drawing little circles wherever I find those those scrapes. Those over a period of the next several weeks of, of spending as much time on the property as I can, kind of crisscrossing it from uh, north to south and doing the same thing from east to west. I'll have a pretty good idea as to where there were rubs, where there were scrapes. Now in the process of this, I'm also looking for shed antlers. And, and uh, from shed antlers, it tells me that this buck made it through the fall. He made it through the hunting season. And by looking at those antlers, I can tell maybe get a pretty good idea of what kind of age they are. Obviously for a little far corner spike or a small, like would be three points on the side or four points on the side. At best, they're probably gonna be a year and a half to two and a half years of age. If they get, if I find one that's a little bit bigger and say he's got four points or five points on one side, including the main beam, of course, I'm gonna take that antler and I'm gonna mark to begin with where I find each one of these shed antlers too. Just draw a little small, what looks like a little three point, four point shed antler in the spots where I find them. The importance of that is, is over the years working as a biologist in a lot of different places, I came to realize that quite often, particularly with mature bucks, older bucks, we ended up, if we ended up taking those bucks the following year, we often shot those, kill those deer within 100 yards or less of where we found their shed antlers. So that gives me a good indication as to where I really want to start hunting. There's a reason that deer was there. There was, there was food, there was water, there was a cover that that particular deer liked. So now mule deer, that's totally different. But with whitetail, very often you can take a particular deer the following year, very close to where you find the shed antlers. And as I mentioned, if I find a, a buck that's, I mean, found the shed antler from a buck that's got a pretty good size rack, let's say five points on the side and maybe 16, 18 or more inch main beam. One of the first thing I'm gonna do is, is I'm gonna take that antler, I'm gonna turn it upside down to where that antler attached to the, the base of the skull and or that base attached to the skull, if you will, called the pedicle attachment area. And one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to compare the, the size, the circumference of uh, diameter, whichever way you want to look at it, of the pedicle attachment area below the burr where it attached to the skull as compared to the main beam right above that, that what we call the burr. Some people call it cornet, in, particularly if you may be from, from another country. But uh, in a two-year-old deer and a three-year-old deer, generally the the size of the pedicle attachment area is about the same size as the circumference of the beam above the burr. When that deer is starting to get in its prime, say let's say four, five, and six, it should be a pretty good size antler, have a fair size pedicle attachment area, but if that deer has been on good nutritional level that year of his antler growing season, chances are his main beam is gonna be a little bit bigger to a lot bigger than what the pedicle attachment area was. So tells me that that deer is, is in his prime and, and probably one that I wanna hunt. 
along with if I find a sizable antler and I pick it up, I look at it, do the same thing, look where it attaches to the skull at the pedicle attachment area. And that area is, is pretty good size and above the burr, uh, that main beam is a little bit smaller, or maybe even a fair amount of smaller than what the pedicle attachment area is. Chances are that buck's got some got some serious age on him, or maybe for whatever reason it was an older buck in a mature situation that maybe got sick or whatever. In that particular year, he didn't grow a, a really big set of antlers. So uh, just kind of get an idea of that way by looking at cast antlers or shed antlers, kind of what the age structure is in the area. But the key to all that is to go back and hunt those same areas where you found those those uh, those shit antlers. So part of what I'm doing right now, the other thing I'm going to do in the next couple of weeks is there is a dense, dense thicket right in the center of one of the, the properties that I have. And uh, I noticed there's some trails going in it, going through it, but I'm going to go into that area and I'm going to either cut down or half cut a lot of the, uh, the uh, yopon and briar that's coming up that's there because what I want to do is I want to leave that rootstock, I want to open it up a little bit so I can see, and I will set up basically two, probably two deer stands on that area, one on either side so that on the north and the south, so I'm never looking really into the east or the west, depending on which way, uh, where I'm sitting that morning, but I don't have to worry about the sun in my eyes in the morning or the evening. So I'm going to go and open that area up, probably about 100, oh, maybe a, a, an area that's probably... 30 yards by 30 or 40 yards, leaving a lot of the vegetation there, but opening up where I can see it and also getting that vegetation down to where when that fresh growth comes back, uh, the deer are going to be there. It's going to be kind of like a natural food plot. Once I cut those those trees, kind of half cut them, those yopons, I'm going to also go in there with triple 13 and fertilize that area because deer have a way of distinguishing the most nutritious vegetation there is in an area. I do the same thing with uh, with oak trees. If there's some oak trees in that area, I'm going to come right at the drip line, which is the outermost limbs. I'm going to dig a trench, put a little th triple 13 in there, and uh, basically fertilize those as well too because what will happen, I know then most of the time that that particular oak tree is going to produce acorns the following fall. And if it does, those acorns will be sweeter, meaning that essentially they don't have quite as much tannic acid as, as other acorns in that particular area. And again, deer have a way of naturally finding this area. I don't know whether they can smell it or if there's something innate that they just, they can tell, you know, maybe one acorn go, oh my God, this is one, one of the trees I want to return to in the future. So do, I'm going to try to do a lot of, of, of natural things there. And, uh, as we move forward into the future uh, with all this, I'll I'll try to bring you up to date periodically as to what we're doing on that property, what we're seeing, and and um, I'm already really looking forward to this this coming fall. We're off to a good start. It, it's cold. We've had cold weather. We've had rainfall in our area, and it's setting up for an, a, a great late winter and springtime in terms of uh, nutrition and vegetation for. For the deer and, and the many other species that are that live in that area too so we'll come back here in, a, in probably about a, oh, in a month or two and i'll try to do an update as to what i've been able to do and and kind of what's happening so until next time when we get together uh hope you have an absolutely great time in the outdoors fishing is right upon us there's still 
hog hunting and predator hunting and shed hunting and all those other things available to us here for the next several months before maybe we get into a spring bear season and, and spring turkey season not that far. Been years since I've hunted spring turkeys, but I've really kind of gotten interested in, in uh, possibly trying to call in a wily old gobbler again this year. So again, too, want to thank you so very much for all your support of, of DSC, of, of conservation, education, and, and hunter advocacy. We need you there as members, and hopefully next year when we have our annual convention, we'll be able to do it in a situation where we can again see each other face to face. Until next time, enjoy the outdoors. DSC's Untamed Heritage is also brought to you by Texas Wildlife Association. Working for tomorrow's wildlife today. Texas Raised Hunting Products, The Scent Gods. Kennetrek Boots, for the trail less traveled. Wildlife Systems, serving hunters and landowners since 1987. Boyt, the finest in hunting gear. And Pyramid Air, for all things air guns.